Verbally Effective with Ina Esco is an interview-style podcast that intersects art, culture, politics, and entertainment with a Memphis focus. Each week, I'm joined by a featured guest with roots in Memphis. Verbally Effective delves into each guest's personal journey to uncover the incredible stories fueling their purpose, the highs and lows of their pursuits, and how through their passion, they are moving the culture forward. Be sure to follow Verbally Effective and Ina Esco on Instagram. Also, download the Verbally Effective podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play Music. Don't forget to check out the website and submit to be a guest at verballyeffective.com. This is I Make Mad Beats, CEO and founder of Unapologetic. And I am verbally effective because I am unapologetic, because I am passionate, because I'm sincere, because I am vulnerable, because I am me. Hello, it's the Verbally Effective Podcast. I'm Aina Escow, double A. Thank you. This is Cal Dwight. Tune in. Welcome to another edition of the Verbally Effective Podcast. I'm your hostess with the most. It's your double E, Ina Esco. Check it out. You know, this podcast intersects art, culture, politics, entertainment. But guess what? With a Memphis focus. That's right. I'm talking to all the movers, the shakers in the M. You get to hear their journeys today. And before we get started, I want to send a huge shout out to the Consortium MMT. Also my team, Patrick Harden, Brandon Lewis, for helping me produce all of this wonderful podcast, right? So check it out. I have with me today somebody that I've been following on social media for quite some time. Never met him in person. I'm so excited today. I have Mr. Esso Tolson, uh, the one, the only, the artist, because you got so much going on, sir. You know that, right? <laughs> I'm just thankful to be on the show, you know, to finally meet you face-to-face. Awesome, and, yes. Yeah, so I'm excited. Thank you for coming today. Um, like I told you earlier before we started recording, mm-hmm. I saw you were busy with a big project with Choose 901. It yes. seemed like you always busy. Give us some deets on that. Uh, okay, so what I what I can say right now okay. is that it's the first of its kind with Choose 901. They're collaborating with artists, and I'm the first artist they're collaborating with. And Ooh, the first. I did a piece, and it'll be available next week, and they'll, I'll be able to talk more about it then. So Some real Memphis-like stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, okay, so you guys, you're going to catch him on his socials, and if you follow him, if you're not following him, follow him today, mm-hmm. and check out this big project with Choose 901. But let's start at the beginning, So, mm-hmm. Where are you originally from? So, originally, I'm from East St. Louis, Illinois. Okay. Um, shout out to East Boogie. Everybody <laughs> didn't know about that. Um, and, you know, it, it's a, um, it's like Memphis. It like, is. In a lot of ways, you know. It is. And because of that, it got uh, the slack that it got. Mm-hmm. And um, But it was a lot of love. A lot of love. Oh, there was a lot yeah. of community there. And mm-hmm. um, that's, yeah, that's, that's where I started. So, any siblings? Yeah, I got a sister, and I got a sister, half-sister older um, in Georgia, but I grew up with my other sister. Okay. How old were you when you moved to Memphis? Oh, I was young. You were young. 
Uh, I was 22. I was 22. Okay. So, but you completed, um, you know, your former education yes. in St. Louis yeah. and everything. You know what? I actually spent some time in Florissant, Missouri. Ooh, what you, you know you about know, it? I was there. What you know about well, it? Well, actually, my dad, uh, he was in the Army. Okay. And uh, he got custody of me when I was 16. Mm. And when I moved with him, they were in Florissant, Missouri. Yeah. But, you know, they kept saying St. Louis, St. Louis. But when I got there, we was in Florissant, right? Mm-hmm. And I was there, like, literally three months. But within those three months, I had worked at that skating ring that was real high. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. What I know what you're talking about. That was the time of my life. Wow. I like St. Louis. I mean, I only saw a little bit of it within three months. Yeah. But I liked it. But I see what you're saying, making a comparison for St. Louis and Memphis too. I I see what you're saying. It's, and and I think what what makes them like that is that they're like right on the Mississippi River, like they're mm-hmm. port cities. A lot of industry was going in, you know. And so they're they're I call them sister cities. Yeah. So like when I moved here, it it wasn't a big transition. I just had yeah. to learn about the mid south version versus yes. the Midwest. Right, so. right. I'm gonna stay on the Midwest for a little bit more before okay. we come come across the water. But um, let's talk about what were you interested in when you attended high school back in East St. Louis. Uh, so um, I was an art kid. I've I've been an always an art kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you you had to maintain some sort of other thing. You know, mm-hmm. I was big on sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran track and field. Were you good? Um, yes, I went to state. When did you run? I ran hurdles. Oh, you got them good legs you know over here. Yeah, I did. Wow. I did hurdles. Um, went to state, state finalist. Um, that's actually how I went to college. I went to college wow. on scra- uh, track scholarship. Okay, where did you go on track scholarship? I went to. Um, where did I go? I forgot where I went. Uh, Lord, <laughs> uh, because there's an interesting story with that. Tell me. So I got a track scholarship to um, Southern Illinois University, SIU at Edwardsville, and uh, I was there for a year. Okay. Right. Um, I had a good time in college, uh, so much that the first semester I was on academic probation. See, you was doing um, too much. I, you know, I felt like I was doing what I was supposed to do in college. Okay, um, but, you got you your know, experience. At least, you know, the experience, right? <laughs> um, yes. But then that continued the mm-hmm. second semester, and so mm-hmm. then I, I kind of got kicked out Okay. of college. Um, hey, we got to pass. We got to pass. <laughs> um, but what happened was I went to the junior college. And so happened you were saying Florissant, it was a junior college in Florissant called um, uh, St. Louis Community College mm-hmm. in Florissant, specifically that mm-hmm. campus. And so went there, and I was like, well, uh, I was feeling bad because I got kicked out of college. I'm like, oh, now I got to go to this junior college, you know. And I was like, oh. But when I got there, I found out that that particular campus was there. there Art program was the first nationally accredited mm. program for a junior college. Mm. So it just so happened that, you know, this thing that I've really been passionate about that I wanted to, like, develop was right across the, the water, and it was everything that it was supposed to be for me. See? And so um, even though I got, you know, dropped out, well, not dropped out, <laughs> I got kicked out. You got kicked it, out. It made sense. Like, it, it all worked out. It all worked out. Okay. So I can't complain. Okay. Um, so I finished there and I was continuing education. 
Um, it took a little longer than the two years because I had to pay for everything, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so I was working, got a job, mm-hmm. and doing that and just paying for everything with school. And mm-hmm. after that, I got my portfolio together. I got my grades up. So you got serious. You know, and I'm like, okay, we, we, we did that. It was a good year. Now, mm-hmm. the first year, have fun. college, have fun. Okay. But I'm like, okay, we need to buckle down. We need to, you know, yes. get the business. And... Um, it was a rep from Memphis College of Art that came to the school mm-hmm. and talked to them, and that's how I got to Memphis. That's how you got to Memphis. Yeah. Now, even when you were in Florissant, mm-hmm. um, did you know you was good then? Um, I, I, I want to say yeah. I want to say yeah, but I, I didn't know how good I was. Mm-hmm. I. I knew I had potential, and I knew that I had the talent. I just didn't know where I stood, you know, mm-hmm. in ranks with the, my peers. Mm-hmm. So, um, But I, I felt like I had a strong enough chance to make something happen with it. Yes. So, yes, yeah. and you've definitely been doing that. Now, what did that rep from the Memphis College of Arts say to get you to come to the Bluff City, baby? Um, so uh, they made it look real good, nah. mm-hmm. it, and, and it was. Um, the presentation was nice. Um but the the funny thing is, I also had a rep from Cleveland that was coming at me real hard. Mm-hmm. So um, it's so it, I was in a very interesting position because I was this black man, young black man. Uh, grades was on point. Okay, uh, portfolio was <laughs> right. <laughs> And they like, oh, we want you. You gonna make you gonna make our campus look good. We got okay. we got one of you, mm-hmm. and so um, they were both coming at me real hard. And so the the rep from Cleveland was like, okay, um, we looked at your transcript, and everything looked cool, but like these classes right here, um, mm. they ain't. Mm, they don't go with our curriculum, so mm-hmm. you have to come in as a, a sophomore. You were here, and I'm like. <laughs> No, we not. No, we not. <laughs> and literally, that was the deciding factor in me wow. coming to Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, Memphis had a solid program. Cleveland was a better school. Okay. But um, what I got from Memphis, like, I, I couldn't got from Cleveland. I can say that for sure. It all worked out. Yeah. And what year was that you moved to Memphis? That was 2008. 2008, you yeah. have been with us in yeah. the city of good abode. And I know you weren't culture shocked because, you know, you've made the comparisons. Um, but what did what immediately stuck out to you when you got to Memphis in, in, in 08? So... It's so it's interesting. I didn't know Memphis was as diverse of a city as it was. Mm-hmm. I was introduced to Memphis through Midtown because that's where the school was. That's and a very so, diverse area. Um, I didn't know Memphis was black though. Mm-hmm. You didn't know? I didn't know. I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it out later on. You found it out <laughs> in a great way, though. In a great way. Um, yes. But all I saw was you know these um, newspapers and these. Magazines that had, you know, RSVP, mm-hmm. um, Memphis Flyer, mm-hmm. um, some of the other ones. And I was like, oh, okay. And that's what I thought Memphis looked like. And I saw the news. And so, like, that was, that's what I knew of Memphis. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have time to really explore. I was going to school. Mm-hmm. But then when I did have time to explore and some of the people that were going to the school that were from Memphis, talking to them, learning, and I was like, 
Oh, Memphis is black. Oh, my oh, what? Okay. All right. It made me feel so good. I didn't know what to expect. I'm like, all right. Well, you know. It's, oh, my gosh. Uh, but um, that was probably the biggest, like, uh, moment. Gotcha. Yeah. Now, while you attended the Memphis College of Art, um, you know, what were some of your favorite classes while you were there? And, and what did you really, like, you know, just tune into if it's like a certain disciplinary while mm-hmm. you were there. Um, so I'm going to give it to you straight. Give it to me straight because um, I know you are. <laughs> so um, I'm thankful for the college as it has brought me here and the things that I learned from it. But it wasn't a lot that I – I mean, so the, cl- so the classes that I took um, were good. Mm-hmm. But they, I didn't learn as much from the class itself as the lesson I was supposed to get from it. Yeah. For instance, I had a teacher, a professor, who was a little um, stern and I would say unfair to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I know this and I know this and that and that and the other. And I remember talking to my mom and she was like, you know, maybe the lesson isn't, you know, in the schoolwork. Maybe it's it's another lesson in this you need to learn, like being patient or mm. um, some kind of perseverance or, you know, standing your ground or something like that. And so I'm like, that ain't why I came here, though. Like, <laughs> that's not why I'm here. I'm here to get better skills, to okay. develop this and develop. She was like, yeah, but, you know, like, just, just see it through. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, like, that – those were some of the lessons that I got from some of those classrooms. Now, mind you, they had a strong art history program. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Ellen Doherty, if you're listening to this. Like, she got me hip to a lot of mm-hmm. art history. Mm-hmm. Um, the mother classes were, they were good. The mother class. You know, and, and I don't want to just, you know, throw all the shade on it. But, like, for me and my my experience, I think mm-hmm. because I was maybe a little further along in, right. in my journey than some of the other students or, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. um, it, it was it was challenging uh, mm-hmm. navigating that space. But, wow. um, yeah, those classes... The other lessons that were in there, those were the ones that were for me, and I got those. Well, you know what? I, I know that you received just what you needed from Memphis College of Art, from, um, you know, everything that you learned prior to that, because you have partnered with so many, like, big-time uh, projects yes. in the city. So. How did all of that come about? Like, did they like, oh, S.O. Tolson, the man in the art world in Memphis, y'all need to be hooking up with. How did you come about to be this big art guy here in the city? So um, what I learned from, another thing I learned from Memphis College of Art is how college works. So... I thought, you know, when you went to those big institutions that, you know, the more you paid, the better the education. It's like, no, it's about resources and access. That's what it's about. Like those Ivy League schools, you pay Mm -hmm. so much money because you go into school with, like, the next CEO of whatever. Real deal. The the next president of, Mm -hmm. you know. And so you're tapped into a network. Mm -hmm. And when I went to the the art school, I was tapped into a network Mm -hmm. that was here. And so... Um, I had, you know, some mobility and some accessibility to 
you know, this art gallery to this art opening to this show to this museum. And so I, I was in the know. Mm-hmm. And um, I went for design. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I got my bachelor's, I went straight into freelancing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, I had no leads necessarily, <laughs> um, but I did get tapped into a network of musicians and artists. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I actually did some music actually for um, a long time. Okay. <laughs> you say you did some music. I did, yeah. So, um, Fun story, um, me and my homegirl, Siffin, shout out to Siffin. I know Siffin. You know Siffin? Siffin? yes. Yeah, uh, we were bandmates. She's in New Orleans She's now, right? She's in New Orleans yes. now, yeah. Um, we, we were in the dorm, and she was she was jamming, she was beatboxing and singing, and I was like, oh, that's dope. And so we in the, uh, the dorm just kind of jamming, and um, news got around, guy from the uh, lunchroom was like, hey, I need to go out to the open mic. Um, on South Main, and we like cool. We went to the open mic. We did two numbers. Left the open mic with a gig. Okay. And we had to put something for the gig. Like we we ain't got nothing. We got no material. So we put the material together, <laughs> and we did the gig. And we literally was doing shows ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of those experiences and me being tapped into that network, people who needed flyers, people who needed a mm-hmm. CD cover, people who needed a poster. I was like, I got you, because I was in the mix. So it was like, oh, you know, you do music, and you also... So, like, I was doing a whole lot of posters during that time. Yeah, getting paid. Yeah. Oh, ah! I wouldn't say that. I was uh, eating you almost. You was busy. <laughs> yeah, was I was busy. <laughs> I was developing a portfolio of work right. um, at right. that time. But I started doing that, and I, I kept that going. I kept that going, and... Eventually, people saw the work that I was doing, mm-hmm. and then over time, it was like, "Oh well, I think you'd be good for this." That mm-hmm. that's that's really how it started. Yeah, because you know, a lot of times, even let's just say with music, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of artists say it's so hard to break in the city of Memphis. Like you know, it's the grit and grind. Mm-hmm. You gonna have to ride or die it mm-hmm. out. It's like that in the art world too. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. It's. I mean, because. Similarly, you have somebody that's doing a certain style, right? And, like, that's the hottest style that's out. Now people are mimicking the style. And so now you got you and 200 more people that are doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, okay, so which one do I go with? And then it's like, okay, am I trying to get paid? And then you go with the cheaper version of the person that's kind of doing the same thing, Mm -hmm. that's in style. And then, and so it's... It's tricky to yeah. to make a name for yourself in in any of those spaces. What does the art scene look like in Memphis? Like for those that don't know, tell us what that looks like here. Okay, so there are several different scenes, um, and I think when when I got to Memphis, there was another uh, scene that was developing, almost like another uh, renaissance, a resurgence of the arts again, and. Um, it was, on one hand, a group of people who felt like they had created the scene, but they didn't get the recognition. It's kind of like, you know, like a generational thing. Mm-hmm. So, like, how Gen X be having issues with, like, the yes. millennials. Yes. <laughs> and the millennials be like, you know, Gen Z mm-hmm. and all. And so, but it's like, there, there was a transition around that time where the people who, like, 
really, you know, the front runners of the scene, whether it was the uh, R&B scene or the hip hop scene mm-hmm. or whatever, um, it, it was it was some tension. But I think over time, it was really about how can we make this thing happen together. And so there was as much as there was some tension, I think people were trying to figure out how to make it work. How do, how do we create together? And so same in the, the art world, um, people were trying to figure out how can we build this thing together. So doing uh, art shows, doing uh, group group shows, um, mm-hmm. doing um, a solo show where people come and support. You know, it was, we were just trying to figure out what it looked like. But I think compared to other cities, there's a there's a community here. Mm-hmm. Now other people may have resources, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what we need. But that's what we need. Yeah, you know, we need it. But there there's a strong knit community here. And mm-hmm. so they grit and grind, we all have it here and we we have it together. Gotcha. So I think that's the thing that makes the network here in Memphis so different and so beautiful, honestly. And is that what you know, made you co-find the Artistic Lounge? Actually, yes. Okay. Um, there, there was, um, there was this place called The Word. Um, shout out to uh, Tamika Greer and Tanya uh, Dyson. I'm, I almost forgot her name. Um, and they, they really created this amazing, beautiful place that. I was like, I want to be a part of this, you know. And so it was It was one of the things, honestly, that kept me in Memphis, like that scene. And um, I had gotten together with um, Tamika Greer, <clears throat> and she had, this, she had this thing that she wanted to develop. And so me and Siffin um, worked with her, and we developed um, Artistic Lounge. And for those artists that wanted to be seen, who wanted to do their own music, who wanted to... Um, really just get out there and break that scene that you were talking about to, like, really make it. We were providing a platform for them. And so, um, yeah, having those people, those talents, those people creating something together, like, that was one of the things that happened. Wow. Is it still going on today? Unfortunately, it's not. Um, Like, it ended right before the pandemic happened. Um, but from 2012 to 2019, it was amazing, the artists that came through. So, like, Tank and the Bangas that people know now, they were here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could pay, at the time, $5 okay. to come and see them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, I think they came in 2015. Um, but, like, so many amazing artists, you know, regionally uh, have come through and also just people who were um, developing their craft, and they got it to a point where they were really like, okay, I want to let people know what I'm doing. Y'all need we to get that back popping. I know. You know, know. there's no more COVID going you on. You know, I mean, well, they, <laughs> I think we safer. I think. Maybe. Um, but, no, it's something I've, I've thought about. What, what does it look like to have um, some kind of showcase or a place for artists to, yes, you know, gather again? I would love to again. see you do that. Yes. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. It's, it's, it's in the works. Now, how would you describe your artistic style? Hmm. So, um, first, I had to figure out that what I did was a thing. Um, for, for those who don't know, I basically draw letters. You <laughs> draw letters. I draw letters for a living. But you make them look good. I do. Mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came from my love of just, you know, type 
typefaces, um, <clears throat> because my background is in design, um, I just love fonts and all of that and how they just communicated so many different things. Mm. Um, but I would call my style very, you know, I would say urban, you know, mm-hmm. very city, very grassroots, very approachable. Um, it feels black without being like that... Um, you know how people uh, try to imitate what blackness should look like. Yes, you I know. Do. Um, I think it's authentically black. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I would say that. What's your favorite font? Ooh. If you had to choose, oh, that's oh, so, mm. <laughs> so. Open Sans, Montserrat. Um, Gotham is a really good one. These are all sans serif fonts. Um, but I do like Garamond. I like mm. um, Helvetica. It's straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Um, Hel- bold specifically, like or, or a black uh, weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Sans Serifs because they're just they're straight to the point without mm-hmm. the frills. Um, and if you got really good content, you can do anything in Hel- Helvetica. Mm-hmm. Like Helvetica is tricky because it's so basic almost mm-hmm. just bare minimum and people be trying to say like no you you use that when you really saying something mm. you know if you ain't saying nothing get you a little pretty <laughs> font like so yeah that's <laughs> I, I like sans serifs because it's straight to the point and it's about the content more mm-hmm. than these letters and you know those fonts that you've just named mm-hmm. i know i've used them to create visuals on canva mm-hmm. like helvetica for sure mm-hmm. like and you said you didn't even know it was a thing that you were doing i didn't know i didn't i mean as far as like drawing letters mm-hmm. um and then i never seen anybody like me mm-hmm. drawing letters right mm-hmm. i on you know pinterest and on instagram i just saw white women you know mm-hmm. drawing a little pretty letters look like a christmas card you know Getting paid. it's cute mm-hmm. and i was like that's cool but I, I want to do it like this. Mm-hmm. And so stepping out and doing that was different. Like that whole journey was very interesting how I got into that. So. Yes. And you're still in it. And I'm still in it. And you're still in it. So. Um, and I didn't know that I would be here in mm-hmm. it. It was something that was just for me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, I So how I got into it. Okay. Um, choose not a one. Speaking of them, I was doing all of that design stuff for for the people, you know, um, doing, you know, the hip hop and doing this show and all that. I had a a talk with uh, one of the producers at Choose 901, and they was like, hey, you do design and stuff, right? And I was like, yeah, I do. And they just had an opening. And so um, I went from almost eating every day. Okay. <laughs> right? To knowing how much I was going to, you know, get every month, Amen. being able to budget, mm-hmm. being able to... Like, so I'm like, woo! As an artist? As an artist. Everything. Yeah. So um, I had time to just create stuff for me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, when you're a designer, it's for every, everybody else. You know, you make sure their needs are taken care of. But as an artist, I didn't, I didn't have that space anymore because everything mm-hmm. I did had to... Make a dollar. It had to pay for something. It had to mm-hmm. take care of some bills, some whatever. Um, and so when I had the job at Choose on a One, it was like, okay, now there's space to get back to me. Mm-hmm. So I, I did what I knew. I was drawing, you know, sketches of letters like I was doing 
for a project. But I was like, oh, what would it look like if I did it like this? Mm -hmm. And I really just started creating things for me. And I used Instagram as, like, this accountability partner. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I'm going to do something every day. And so people would see pieces that I was doing. If I was drinking, you know, some wine with friends, I would do a piece drinking wine with friends. Mm -hmm. And I would post it on social media. Um, Now, the thing that really picked up was I did this piece, and it said, embrace your inner Memphis. Okay, here we go. And um, that came out of conversation, you know, with a friend. And I was like, oh, let me do that. And then I posted on social media. It was that weekend. And I remember Monday came by and I got this DM from somebody. It was like, oh, we want to make this a shirt. Mm. But what they didn't say was they wanted uh, me to make it a shirt. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. And so I called some friends and we um, was like, okay, how are we going to figure this out? So I knew a guy was doing some uh, silk screen for shirts. I was like, I need a a mock-up of a Mm -hmm. a shirt. And um, I had a friend that was, you know, good with websites. And had a landing page, had this T-shirt mock-up within, like, 72 hours. And it was up, and I was taking pre-orders for the shirt. Mm -hmm. Only to protect the idea. Not because I was trying to make it a thing, but because I wanted to protect the idea of embracing your inner Memphis. Mm -hmm. And so, like, that's how all of this stuff kind of really started taking off. Now, when you came up with Embrace Your Inner Memphis... Put it on a T-shirt. Does that belong to you? How does that work? Um, so copyrights, trademarks, like I'm still learning a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I definitely didn't have any idea mm-hmm. about that. I just knew that I had to be the first one or mm-hmm. I, had, I needed some evidence that, you know, this is my idea to put it out right. there first. Um, but <clears throat> when I did that, People responded, mm-hmm. and I didn't know that people were going to respond the way that they did. And people they taking it to you pre-orders. They're like, "Oh yeah, I need three of them." You okay. know, I got a cousin. I want to send one, and it was wild. Um, and so that's how that started, and it was with my my artwork on it, and so. Mm-hmm. That's really when everything really changed. It just changed. Yeah. Wow. So. I know that, you know, you're a plant zaddy. Ha. A plant zaddy. <laughs> you know what? I started my plant journey at the start of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law had kept telling me, Ina, just get a couple plants, see which ones you like. Mm-hmm. I fell in love. Mm-hmm. I wanted to keep, you know, putting water in them and looking at how they changed mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. Is that the same for you? It is. It is. And how did you become Plant Zaddy? So uh, I was already uh, Plant Zaddy before the quarantine. Um, but what quarantine did, uh, because everybody was inside, it was like, okay, I'm going to be here for a minute. So how can I make this space feel really good? Mm-hmm. And um, I started buying some more plants. And that was fun. And plants, are, they're, like, uh, they're kind of like people. They really are. Um, and I didn't know how much they were like people until I had more of them and different kinds. Mm-hmm. And so I had a, a, a fiddle fig, fiddle leaf, 
and I had in this spot that I thought would be really cute. I can't take care of none and of them. Cl- now, let me tell you, I thought the same thing. What's... I got two of them. I had one in this one corner, and I had one on the other side of the room. And so the one in this other corner, like, it just died. Like, like just died. And I was like... I'm terrible. Like, I started feeling bad. You I know, did, too. <laughs> because it was such a pretty plan. Really not. And, and they're really temperamental. And so, like, don't. But at the time, I was like, okay, am I doing something wrong? Now, the other one in the corner, like, it was it was on its way out. Mm-hmm. But there was something about the lesson that I, I'm like, okay, why, why did it die? Like, mm-hmm. I was giving it water. I was, hmm. What if I moved it? And so then I moved the one that was, you know, on his last leg to this other side of the room where it had more light. Now, it didn't, like, look the best at the time, but it's, you know, I moved it just to see what happened. And next thing I knew, it perked up. It needed more light. It needed more light. Mm. But what I, the lesson I got out of it is that sometimes we try to put things in situations that look real nice, that mm. we think that they're supposed to be okay. in. But really, it needs something else. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it can't grow because it's in the wrong situation, mm-hmm. right? So I had to put in the situation that w- was right for it, and then mm-hmm. it was able to grow. Yes. And so I'm like, oh, I got to listen to the plants. You got to listen to the plants. I can't just put it over here because I think it's cute over here or because I think it looks nice here. What does the plant need? Right. And then I started focusing on what the plant needed. And so then that's right. how I really started, you know, being a plant uh, zaddy. A plant zaddy. <laughs> Have you started any gardening? Um, I would like to. So I'm in an apartment, and I don't really have access to a lot of land to start, like, gardening like that mm-hmm. right now. Um, but I would love to. I grew up, actually, with gardens yeah. um, back in East St. Louis. We had a garden, you know, doing tomatoes, doing mm-hmm. cucumbers. That's what I did this stuff past like that. summer. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I love doing that. So um, I would like to be able to do that again. But right now I'm doing these indoor plants and um, they they give me life. Plant zaddy of the year. (laughs) Let's talk about TEDx. Now, you have done something that I am still trying to be on track to do. (laughs) Um, And that is you were a TEDx speaker, less grind, more chill. How did this come about? So... um, I was actually nominated. Shout out to uh, Make Mad Beats. Oh, that's my boy. Yeah, good people, good people. Um, he put he put my name in the hat, and uh, but I still had to earn the spot. I wouldn't say that I had to earn my keeps, but um, he nominated me, and um, the the reps reached out, and you know they had followed me. And they had some ideas for some stuff that I should do. I'm like, so y'all know who I am. Okay. And um, the thing that I got out of it that made the most sense to me at the time was less grind, more chill. And I think that's just what we all needed. It's, this was like around the, the, the height of the mass exodus. Mm-hmm. People like, they don't care about these jobs no more. For um, real. <laughs> for real. Um, but more than just that, um, it was about 
people creating spaces for themselves to connect back with themselves, mm-hmm. you know. Um, grind culture, uh, and it's weird saying that in the 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 home of grit and grind. Okay, you know um, how grind culture is is uh, really unsustainable. I better wear you down. You know, um, and we've gotten used to things like burnout, mm-hmm. like, and it's like you you shouldn't be used to that, mm-hmm. and that shouldn't be a part of regular life. And so, how can we avoid getting to those places? And so, mm-hmm. um, I started talking about that, and and, and so. The interesting, interesting thing about doing a TEDx talk is that it's not a script. It's not like mm-hmm. you learn the lines. Um, you're creating all of that. Mm-hmm. And you're essentially the expert mm-hmm. on the topic. Mm-hmm. And so it was a little overwhelming, like me being the expert on this subject of chilling, right? Mm-hmm. But I had more information than I thought that I had to really talk about it. So it wasn't um, hard to come up with? It. I, I really had to sit with it. Mm-hmm. I really had to sit with it. And um, one of the things that I was able to talk about in my story was my time in college when I got here. Um, I told you, like, mm, that experience mm-hmm. was what it was. Um, and I think it was like that because um, there was so much grind that was in it. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a lot of time to really process things. It was just tests. It was mm-hmm. assignments. It was this due date that was like a wild due date. Mm-hmm. And I got these other classes. And okay. like, so why are y'all acting like y'all my only class? Like okay. I got six of these. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it, it, it. I, I was at a point where I got burnt out. Yeah. And I remember that that point that that's why I operate life the way I do now. I was like, I'm never going to get in this position ever again. I remember okay. saying that in college. I was like, I, I don't care what it is. I'm not going to allow myself to get in the position to where I was burnt out. And when I say burnt out, like, I was bedridden. Oh, that was a bad no, it was No, it was, it was bad. Like, I, I couldn't get out of bed. You was depressed. I was, no, it was... It was bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm I'm not ever going to get myself in this position again. Yeah. And so when I started doing some research on it because of TEDx, I found out that over two-thirds of the working force are burnt out. Like, right now. For sure. Like, burnt out. Look, we say grit and grind. That's the United States way. That's that's how they breed us around here. That's terrible. Across the pond, baby. Yeah, no, it's holiday, holiday. It's it's terrible. And so I was like, no, I'm going to have to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And so um, being being the person to be the expert on chilling was daunting, but uh, I got through it. Yes, you did. And we made it happen. Yeah. So, so tell me about, like, once you did your TEDx, did a lot of things come with that? Yes. Um, good and bad? All good? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was interesting. So, for okay. instance, um, because I was able to do this talk, I was able to, you know, have clear, more concise uh, language to talk mm-hmm. about the subject, right? And um, I did this tweet, and I was talking about, you know, we don't need to earn rest. You know, we deserve rest, you know, because we're humans, and we shouldn't feel bad about getting rest. Mm-hmm. And I put it out there. And next thing I know, I had 200 likes. I'm like, oh, 
that's a big deal. I don't, I don't get that much on t- on Twitter. And by the afternoon, I had 2K likes. Mm. And I said, oh. Everybody felt the same thing you were feeling. By that evening, I had over 100,000 likes. Wow, you went viral. Then the next day, I had 200. I, I, went, I went viral off of that wow. statement. Um, that happened right after TEDx Talk. I had a few people reach out to me. Um, because of that, that somebody did a piece in London, uh, mm-hmm. about that, that piece, um, that tweet had been transcribed in probably six languages. Amazing. Um, it was wild. And I had a couple of people just reach out to me just about, you know, like, like, who are you? I just want to know more about you. Mm-hmm. Um, really dope connections. Um, so that's the good stuff. Some of the uh, not so great stuff was what was learning how <coughs> many people are against sleep. <laughs> really, they want to be and re- like yes. Mm, um, I can have it, and I think it's because we equate work to value and worth. You know, like we like if you you got to earn your keeps around mm-hmm. here. You know, you got to work to you know be of substance or value. Yeah. And I think we've taken on that so much so that when we're resting, we feel worthless. Yeah. And so people are like, oh, you know, I got to get the bag. I got to go ahead and, you know, I got to work. I got to work. And so we work because otherwise we don't feel like we're valuable. Yeah. And I'm like, that's terrible. And a lot of us have seen our parents do it growing up. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, something that you, it's in our DNA. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, I want to help us unlearn okay. that, um, and that's really what that talk was. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Yeah. Uh, let's grind more chill, Absolutely. ladies and gentlemen. Now, so we are going to do something real quick, Esco's okay. Pop Talk. Uh, I just want to know your thoughts on this, and okay. Esco Pop Talk is brought to you by Exact Tax Prep. Mr. Emil Sagi Jr., call him at 901 901- Seven five two nine one five two for all of your tax needs. Let's talk about this Putin and Ukraine situation. Just yesterday, Russia invaded Ukraine. Now we're talking about Ukraine. You know, they're their own entity out mm-hmm. there, right in the middle of Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, after the Soviet Union dissolved in, I think, nineteen ninety one, they were still standing. They wanted to stay. You know, their own country. Mm-hmm. So Putin still running shit out there in Russia. He said, I want that. I want Ukraine. And so he invaded some. yesterday. Always starting something. Like, do we have time? That's my thing. Like, do we really have time for this? Because I'm like in, because I, I don't want to put this out there and knock on wood or whatever. But like, this is going to start the third one. That's that's all I'm going to say. World War Three, seriously. And we ain't got like, let me tell you who ain't got time. United States right. ain't got time. United States need a cosigner right now okay. on anything. We also we, we so in debt we like so much hook. debt. Oh my god! Are you talking about doing a war? But it look like Biden want to get with them. Uh, I'm just you know so <laughs> you scared. You scared. I be trying to focus on the things I can control. You know, like that ain't I ain't got nothing to do with that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like I be trying to focus on, but like. I do. I do think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so real talk, 
I, I got overwhelmed last year because I realized that, like, yeah, we just a lot of stuff that ain't going to happen. You know, um, we still fighting over, you know, who should wear a mask, when, where, why. How are we going to uh, deal with uh, global warming? Okay. How are we going to really, we talking about, rec- should we recycle this? Like, it's just a stuff. It's we, a lot. And we, we put it's just a we lot. all in a business. I, you, United States has always been in everybody else's business, trying to resolve all their matters, and it continues in twenty twenty two. That's why we ain't got flying cars. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like we we could be so much further, <laughs> but no, nah, we in everybody else's business. We trying we to like everybody business. I just knew that twenty the year two thousand, everything was gonna be silver and chrome. No, World War Three cars is gonna be flying. That that's why we can't. World have War Three, my friend. Because people can't put on a mask or decide not to or who should or you're going to start this war. Just too much. It's just too much. Too much. We got to focus on, you know, big things for us and and what we're going to be doing. Uh, I do want to ask you this last question. Mm -hmm. Why Memphis? Why are you still here in Memphis? I'm still here in Memphis because it makes sense for me to be here. Um, I, 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 I tend to do things that make sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the time. And it makes sense for me to be here. The community, um, the people that I've developed these relationships with um, are second to none, honestly. And mm-hmm. any place you go is really about the people. You yeah. know, you can go to, let's just say New York. You can go to L.A. You can go to these you know, big places. But if you don't know nobody there, like, why are you there? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you ain't got no community, if you ain't got nobody, you know, to like – like, lean on, you know, mm-hmm. to support you. Like, it, you might as well be in Mayberry, you know. Yeah. Um, but the fact that I've been able to connect with some amazing people here and the opportunities that you can create here um, are just endless. You just said some opportunities you can create You can here. create here. Seriously. Um, it's endless. And it's it's like a, it's, it's a good thing and it's a, a challenging thing at mm-hmm. the same time. Because I feel like Memphis is is an all-American city. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is all the things that the world loves about the United States are here in Memphis. You know, the food, the Mm -hmm. art, the music, the culture, Mm -hmm. the people, you know, in in the South, the Southern hospitality. Like, all of that is here. And also the, the terrible, the most terrible things about the United States are here. Inequity, oh, racism, big melting pot. Just and so it's it's a hodgepodge of all of these great and not so great things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, in a sense, you know, stuff that's not here, it ain't here. And so, there's opportunity to create it. Definitely, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think those are the things that make this place so unique, um, so necessary. So frustrating, so challenging, but also so beautiful mm-hmm. all at the same time. Mm-hmm. So if you're willing to, to come here and, like, get to work and make things happen, you can make it happen in Memphis. You got to put that work in. You got to put the work you in. You have to work for it. Um, sometimes it shouldn't be as hard, but you can make it happen for sure. You can make here. it happen. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. Well, I want to thank you so much, S.O. Tolson. For joining me today on the Verbally Effective Podcast. You're so serious. Like, you got this whole personality. I I didn't know. Like, (laughs) I'm vibing off of you, right? 
You a vibe. That, thank you. You are a I'm vibe. A quote. <laughs> Any ass gonna say I was a vibe, y'all. That's gonna be on my uh, resume. Uh, oh yes, <laughs> I want you to let everybody know how they can follow your journey okay. and see your wonderful art and see what you got coming up next. Okay, so um, you can follow me at Cool Urban Hippie. That's H I P P I E mm-hmm. um, on on all of them. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, the red like. Cool Urban Hippie. Um, and you can follow me on my website. You can also purchase some merch from the website, purchase too. Purchase some merch. Um, that's www.esotosin.com. Uh, Amazing. Thank you so much, Esso, for joining me today. You Thank are you for indeed me. verbally effective as well. I look forward to working with you on something. Yes. yes. So we're going to make it happen in this 22. Absolutely. You heard it here first. Look, World War Three or not, we're going to make it happen, <laughs> honey. And I just want to thank you guys for tuning in to yet another episode of the Verbally Effective Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the pod on all streaming platforms and also subscribe on YouTube to the Ina Esco channel. See you guys next week for another edition of the Verbally Effective Podcast. Thanks. Thanks.